0: The series that we'll be starting is called The Sixth Sense, and uh, we're going to be speaking about nineteen uh, on about 19 different men, women, groups, people over the course of about eight weeks. I'm going to try to squeeze it in before uh, Youth Weekend, and um, What's you we'll, we'll talk about, we, if there's time at the end, we'll, have to, we'll talk about that. Um, but we're going to be speaking from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 40, the Hall of Faith is what they call that. Uh, a lot of men received a good testimony because of the faith that they had and because of the faithfulness that they had um, throughout history. Um, It's going to take probably about the eight weeks, like I said. We're going to show a documentary at the end. And I might have like a movie week, like on a Saturday or something like that, or a Friday night, to not just show the documentary of this movie. There's a movie called Faith Like Potatoes. I don't know if y'all ever heard of that movie or not. It's a Christian flick. It was actually a really, really good movie. It's based on a true story of of a pastor in Africa. And uh, you've seen the movie? I loved it. I really did, man. I really enjoyed it. I couldn't take my eyes off of it once I started. Um, but really, what, what the bottom line is, the, really the plot of the movie is a man who had faith. He had faith, and through his faith, God blessed him, man. And, and the, the, he, the faith that he had was a faith that really mimicked a sixth sense. It was what made God real, that faith. And that's what faith does. You know, we might not be able to touch God. We might not be able to see God. We might not be able to hear God in an audible voice using our six senses, using our ears. We may not be able to smell God or taste God, but yet we still know He's there. So if we don't use the six senses to determine that He's there, what do we use? It's faith. So it acts as though it's a sixth sense. Because what senses do is they give you a perception that something is reality. You know food is there, right? Why? Because you can touch it you can taste it you can smell it if it's depending on what's cooking you might even go here like some bacon I know I can hear bacon cooking you know you can you know you can um, smell it you can see it yeah you use your five senses to see different things to determine that they're real that's how you that's how you do that um, people you know people are real same thing you can see them touch them hear them uh, you can smell them if they got body odor you sh- I mean unless you're in you know, a married you shouldn't be tasting nobody. But either way, you use your five senses, or you use some of the five <laughs> senses, to say, "Wow, that individual is there." You see what I'm saying? That's how you determine reality. Um, so that's why faith, and I've entitled the message Six Senses" because faith is the sixth sense. Although you can't see heaven, you can't see God. You know He's there by faith. You know heaven is there by faith. You know that His promises are true by faith. Um. So, faith is the driving force of our actions. You live like God is watching you. Like you think He's watching you. You live like you know He's watching you. Your faith is what says, I know God's watching me. Why? Because I believe. It's faith. Because of the faith that I have, again, can't see, touch, smell, taste, hear Him, but I, I know He's there because of the faith that He's given me. I believe. That's what the Bible says faith is. It's the substance of what's hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let faith be your evidence. You see, my evidence right now, without looking, my evidence of this chair is here, is touch. Let faith. And yeah, I can hear, but I, I can hear other things, you know what I mean? But I can feel it out and know that it is a chair. Let faith be your evidence that God exists. The Bible says without faith, you can't please God. So, the question comes. Does something exist when you simply believe that it does? So you're telling me that I just got faith. So you're telling me that something exists, something, anything exists just because I believe that it does? Not so. Now, maybe if you're one of them, you know, people who wear white jackets, maybe that might be true. Whatever you want to exist, it all exists. Pink ponies that fly, you know, you might be a little bit crazy. But where does it exist? It does exist in your mind. See, people, when they believe something is there, when they have faith that is there, it's there in their mind. Even if it's not reality, it's there in their mind. Just like somebody who has the phobias, you know. They hear something, all of a sudden they, they automatically picture a mouse and there's a mouse in the house. They think it's there and they're up on the chair, right? There's a mouse in the house. They really, if they really believe there's a mouse in the house, guess where they're at? They're on the chair. Even if there ain't no mouse there, that thing has become a reality in their mind. Hallucination. Not a hallucination, just a belief that has become a reality to them and to them alone. So the question comes up. Are you telling me that whatever I believe in, it exists. Not so. Not in reality. Just because you believe that God is real doesn't make him real. Just because someone doesn't believe God isn't real doesn't make him not real. See what I'm saying? People's realities are different based on what they believe. But our belief or our lack of doesn't add or take away from an all-knowing. I'm the present. Omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere God. A God that exists in all of eternity, a God that is not bound by time. Our lack of belief or our belief doesn't add or take away from who God is. It never will. And never will. We're finite individuals. We're human beings. We were created by that God who we're trying to add or take away from by saying we believe or don't believe. We're trying to give him credentials by saying, I believe, or I don't believe. We're trying to take away credentials. It will never happen. We're just human beings. And it's a miracle in itself that God even hears us and listens to us and speaks to us through his word. That in itself is amazing. So God will remain the same. God will judge all of humanity. And Jesus will return. That's just fact. God himself, and we'll talk about blind faith in a little bit. God himself makes a bold statement whenever he says, if you seek, you will find. If you go to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And this is the Sermon on the Mount. Man, I was just amazed, you know. It's like, I've been saved for, I don't know, two thousand really committed after my fall away since since May of 2001 oh, bless you, bless you. Yeah. so oh, almost 9 years I'm not sure i what's your birthday yeah. all right that's the day i'm no, just kidding <laughs> uh, since like since 9 years i've been really committed to god and i've even now man that's how god is amazing. that's how you know the word of god is living and active it's alive Because the same thing you read over will speak to you. you And I mean, it just hits you with a ton of bricks in a way that it never has before. The Spirit of God is alive and active. And He's working in your situation through the Word. Right right in 2010, you know what I mean? it, It just changes. I don't know how. The Word remains the same. The context remains the same. But it applies to your life in a different way. It's amazing. But I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I'm like, man. This is Jesus preaching to all of these people. And he preached about all of these different things up on this mountain. He's seen the multitudes following them, and he's like, Man, I just got to speak. And he just starts speaking at a whole page and a half with nothing but speaking about forbidding oaths, you know, going the second mile, loving your enemies, fasting only seen by God, laying your treasures in heaven, not judging, not worrying. I mean, you got the Prince of Prince, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords preaching to all of these individuals. Amazing. And I thought that was amazing, so I wanted to share my joy with you. But. Uh, Matthew 7, 7-11 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek, and you will find. And knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? See, we got Jesus talking here, right? And Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, Whoever seeks will find. This is red lettering here. Everybody knows that you've been a Christian long enough, longer than two weeks, you know. Red lettering means that Jesus is speaking. Alright? So this is the inspired word of God. It's the words of Jesus Christ recorded by Matthew saying, Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who seeks will find. Alright? So we can believe it. Because it's not coming from man, it's coming from Jesus. Jesus. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? So now he's making a comparison. He's saying, Think about this now. You ain't even holy and perfect, but yet you would act in this type of manner. Do you really think that God wouldn't do the same? God's going to do much more and better. Verse 10 says, Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Verse 11. If you then being evil, Okay? Talking about humanity. He didn't say half of y'all evil, half of y'all not. He said, he's talking to all of them. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we can be assured whenever God says himself, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. We can even go to Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. If you got your Bible, you can turn with me there. Jeremiah 29. Verses 12 through 14. And this is God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the children of Israel after they were um, taken um, by King Nebuchadnezzar back to Babylon. He's telling them through this letter. He's saying in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. Verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to a place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. So he's saying, you're going to seek me and you're going to find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. So we can rest assured when God says, seek and you will find, we know that his word is in, again, by faith. This is his word. By faith, we know that God is not man and he shall lie. Alright? This is a perfect God who's saying, seek and you'll find. Matter of fact, talking about God not lying, let's go to Hebrews 6.18. 6.18. How many people love the word? Say, I love the word. I love the word. See, y'all even said it the way I told you to, man. You guys are obedient. Well, he Hebrews 6.18. Says, that by two immutable things in which It is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. The main thing I wanted to point out there, that it is impossible for God to lie. Immutable, the word immutable means unchanging. God has never been a liar and he never will be. If he said in the book of Jeremiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, that if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Then guess what? If you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. It's simple as that. And if he says through his son... God in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, on the Sermon of the Mount. Thousands of years later, if He says, "You know what? If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open." And guess what? You can know that He's true to His word. Matter of fact, let's let's keep let's keep let's keep hammering that home. Let's go to Numbers twenty-three nineteen. Numbers twenty-three nineteen. The Book of Numbers, chapter twenty-three, and verse nineteen says, God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? What I wanted to point out there is, God is not man that he should lie. He is not a liar. Titus 1-2, and we'll we'll stop right here. Titus 1-2. I'm just going to hammer the point home a little bit harder, because I got a big hammer, and that nail still ain't driven yet. Titus 1-2 says... In hope of eternal life with God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. we got three spots in Scripture, two in the New Testament and one in the Old Testament where it talks about it being impossible for God to lie. God's not man. He's not going to lie. And what has God told us? God has told us, if you seek with all your heart, you will find. You see, we're talking about this faith thing here and how our faith is not blind. So is what you have faith in real is the question. You see, you say some people would make the argument, "Oh, you got blind faith." You know, you're saying that that uh, that God exists, and you're trusting in that word. That's a blind faith. Is what we have faith in real? Is the question we need to ask ourselves. How do we know that it's real? What makes us believe? When we're dealing with God, we got the Bible. The Bible is an account of history from the beginning of time. It has never been proven wrong. The prophecies, two-thirds of them have already been proven correct. Matter of fact, I just started to read these cards about Revelation, and it's pretty eye-opening about the prophecy of the future church, and it's actually kind of scary, but I mean, it is the future. It is the only left unfulfilled prophecy is the book of Revelation. If you guys want to know what's going to happen, maybe not in your lifetime, maybe in your lifetime, but if you want to know what the future holds, you go to the book of Revelation. Why? God is not man, that he should lie, right? It's impossible for God to lie, right? The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that he's penned those words there using men and women like us. I always say this, and this is the simplest thing, but it's real. You're telling me that you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that he tells the ocean how far it can come. He put the moon in the sky and the constellation and all of its existence. He created a human body that's very, very detailed. But you're telling me he can't preserve a word? To be accurate and true throughout history. That's a very small task, in my opinion, compared to those other things. So you have the Bible, you have creation. You look at creation, you're like, man, where did this come from? Even the evolutionists, they got this crazy big bang theory that they can't even prove. It doesn't even make sense. Bang, you got a man, bang, you got a woman. They're identical, but they're different. It's weird. And that's really where they lay. It's it's just weird. You got Christian testimonies using the Bible, Christian testimonies, even outside of the Bible, testimonies like Bishop, testimonies like myself, maybe your parents, maybe some of your friends, maybe some of your family members. Why are people just forsaking the life that they once lived and completely following this word? Faith. Because they know he's real. Because of faith. They can't see him, they can't hear him, they can't touch him, they can't smell him, they can't taste him. They know he's there because of faith. And it's not one person. It's not a group of people. It's somebody in Montana and somebody in Florida. It's somebody in China who their whole family will forsake them because they trust in a Savior and believe in 66 books being inspired by God. But yet they still say, I have to believe. There's no way that I can deny my Savior. I know he's real. God has granted me repentance. I understand that I need a Savior. I know he's real because I have faith. The Bible says that the righteousness live by faith. The righteous people live by faith. You see? Why? Christian testimony is very important to all of us. Why would a Muslim girl... You ever read the Jesus Freaks book? We used to read them every time in Royal Rangers. We'd, we'd read through one. Awesome. I, I keep thinking about it every time I look at my on bookshelf. It's like, I, I want to give it to you. But you have an account of people who are martyred for the name of Christ. And there's very few of them in the U.S. Why? Because the U.S., there's not many martyrs in the U.S. But there's many throughout the world. Why? Why would a Muslim woman say, you know what, I'm going to follow this Jesus? Why would she forsake her whole family knowing that her brother was going to kill her or knowing that her dad was going to kill her? I'm not talking about forsake her. I'm talking about murder her without being sentenced to death. Murder. Why would she do it? Because God is real. The Christian testimony is very powerful. So you have all these testimonies, and you have the Bible, you have creation, and you have persecution, which is what I kind of got into with the Jesus freaks. People persecuted for the name of Christ. People who don't know each other, but they're following Christ. The same Christ, the same Word of God, the same Bible. Because God is real. Because His Word is truth. And when you seek Him, you will find Him. So, the title of the message today is, is do well and you will be accepted. The individual that we're speaking on today in this series of six cents is Abel. Uh, if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, I do believe. Uh, 1 through 4. Hebrews 11, 1 through 4. Hebrews 11, 1 through 4. And it says... Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. And this is the individual we'll be talking about today, Abel. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And through it, being dead, still speaks. You see, Hebrews eleven two, it's talking about, although imperfect, faith gives people their good testimony in history. Faith will cause you to have a good name when you have faith in God. God loves individuals of faith. Remember I said it's impossible to please God without faith? I think it says that in, in Romans 10 or something like that. These individuals, because of their faith, they were counted as righteous. That's what the Word of God says. And Abel, you see, there's two things that happened with Abel. God approved of Abel's offering because he's seen that Abel's offering was offered up in righteousness. If you go to 1 John 3.12, 1 John 3.12 says, Sorry, that's the wrong scripture. Oh, no, that's the right scripture. I'm sorry. 1 John 3.12 says, Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. See, Cain's, Abel's works were righteous. There's two conclusions that can be drawn here. Either they knew what type of offering that God wanted, or what he required. Because it says that one what one, one was wicked, one had righteous, and one had uh, one's act of offering was righteous, and one act of offering was wicked. Or Abel was living a life continually obedient unto, unto God, and Cain was not. I think either one of them could be true. I mean, we get a glimpse of of God showing them what He wanted in a sacrifice whenever they tried to cover themselves with the fig leaves and God killed the animal and covered them with the skin of the animal. So they may have had an understanding of what God required as an offering. That's not biblical. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible there. It doesn't say that what God requires in offerings until the book of Leviticus. But they may have understood. I'm not sure. Or, maybe it was just that Cain was living a wicked lifestyle. And Abel was living a righteous lifestyle. Abel was living by faith. Abel was being pleasing to God. He was being obedient to whatever God's commandments were at that time. The Bible says, he who knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. So maybe just Cain was wicked. Abel was not. So whenever you offer up to something to God, and you're living a lifestyle that's filthy, you're living a lifestyle in sin... God's not going to be pleased with what you're offering Him. It's going to be like a stench instead of like an aroma. So by faith, Abel took up his best livestock and the first of it, he offered it to God, having faith that God would be pleased. See, it's my belief that Adam and Eve, it's my belief that God instructed Adam and Eve on what he wanted them to on what he wanted to be done for the atonement of sins, for making amends. God determines what makes amends, and he said, Look, Adam and Eve, I want you to do this. That is my belief, that is my opinion. That is not what the scripture says. And then I believe that Abel, Cain, and Abel, they said, You know what? I'm gonna offer this to God because this is what he requires, is what Abel said, and Cain said, I'm gonna offer this because this is what I want to offer God. And God accepted one, he didn't accept the other. Well, God made Cain a uh, like a worker of the grains and stuff. Anyway, so he couldn't just kill an animal out of his position. God made him a farmer, so even if he would have tried to get an animal for God and had faith it was the right thing, he still would have disobeyed. It's kind of, you know. What do you mean? Because like, like if, if you mean if, if God, God requires. Himself, mm-hmm. God required him to do that job. That's what God wanted him to do. But for him to go out of his own way and kill an animal and give it to God, it's still kind of be disobeying God because he, he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. You see, back then, they had animals. That was part of their livestock. That was part of who they were. You see, not everybody who offered an animal was, was a shepherd. You see what I'm saying? There were many people that were farmers throughout the Old Testament that had sheep. They had animals. Because when you had animals, that was part of your wealth. You see, so I'm not... I wouldn't say that he didn't have any animals to offer. I, would, I, I, would, I wouldn't i would—I come to that conclusion. Or the, ability to. or the ability to ask his brother, hey, you know, I know... God, do you have another first... You know, I'll give you some of my livestock if you give me... A sheep without blemish or, you know, an animal without blemish, you know, and without spot that I could offer unto my father in heaven, you know, that I could offer up to my God. So it was my belief that they knew what God wanted, but yet they both offered differently. Okay. What we do know is what First John three twelve tells us, that Abel's acts were righteous and Cain's were wicked. And we do know later on in like verse 7, God says, why are you upset, Cain? If you do well, won't you be accepted? And then a few verses later, he murders his brother. Didn't sound like he took the counsel of God too well, did it? And then, God, and then he's got the nerve. And then God comes up to him and God's like, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? He got an attitude with God. And then God punishes him and he's like, oh, it's too much for me to bear, God. <laughs> you just disobeyed me, you just... Got an attitude with me in my face, and now you want to whine and complain about your, about your consequences? Didn't I just tell you if you do well, you'll be accepted? So we get a glimpse of that. Although the requirements for sacrificing is not mentioned until so Leviticus, God is unchanging, so I believe that God told them. Again, that's my belief. If God would tell them in Leviticus, why wouldn't he tell them then? I don't know. It's my belief. However, we do know that Cain was wicked, and what he offered was wicked because 1 John 3.12 tells us. Now, Proverbs 15 and verse 8. And I'm almost ready to close here. Proverbs 15 and verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is a delight. Let's couple that with First John 3.12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Wow. So here's the thing. Cain was a wicked man. It became evident a few verses later when he murders his brother. Many offer to God while living an ungodly lifestyle. Not talking about new converts neither. I'm talking about people who have been serving God. People who have been claiming to be Christians for many years. They're offering God prayer. They're offering God worship. They're offering God praise. They're offering God tithes and offering... But to live in a very ungodly lifestyle. And the word of the Lord says in Proverbs 15.8 that the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. It is our prayer, is our prayer, our praise, our worship, our time that we give to God backed with a filthy lifestyle? is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. Or is it backed with a heart that truly desires to do what is right? A heart that truly desires to please the Lord by living by faith By saying, I know God is watching me. I know that God cares about me. I know that God loves me. I know that God wants me to do this, so this is what I'm going to do. By faith, I know that He's there. By faith, I know that He exists. By faith, I'm going to walk and I'm going to live my life as if though God is standing right next to me. Why? Because the word of the Lord says that He's omnipresent, which means that He's everywhere. He is here. The Bible says that or do you not know that your body is the symbol of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. If you're claiming to be a Christian, if you're claiming to have accepted Christ into your heart, if you have repented for your sins and now you're following after him, you are an individual that the Holy Spirit dwells in and occupies your body as if though your body's not your own because he owns you because he bought you at a price with his blood. So not only is he here, but he's here. And you've got to live your life in faith knowing that God is here. And I'm not going to be a wicked individual, but I'm going to be righteous. The Bible says that obedience produces righteousness. When you become a slave to obedience, it will produce righteousness. You don't want to offer up sacrifices. You don't want to offer up prayer. You don't want to offer up praise. You don't want to offer up anything to God in a wicked state. Because if you do, it's an abomination. Him, Which means he doesn't like it. So the bottom line is, we're instructed now with two commandments that sum up the ten. If we do well, just like God told Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. If we become those slaves to obedience, God will accept us as his children. Now, let me, let me just smooth something over here. Your performance is not dependent upon God accepting you. Okay? You've already been accepted. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, that not of yourself, lest anyone would boast. Alright? It's not your performance. It's not, oh, well, I said two cuss words today. Oh, well, I I, I disobeyed my mom today. No, we're not living in bondage like that. We are free. But we're not free to sin. We're free to be righteous. We're free to be obedient. We've been called out of darkness. Alright? So let me put it a different way. If we become those slaves to obedience, producing righteousness, God will accept what we offer to Him. Remember, those who are wicked and offer sacrifices is an abomination to the Lord. So it's better, it's well put like that. Whenever we are slaves to obedience, producing righteousness, when we offer our praise, our worship, it will be pleasing to God. And if anyone knows that you love somebody, you want to please them. If you love God, you want to please Him, right? That's what we want to do. The thing to remember is that the Bible confirms... That we should all know about ourselves. The Bible confirms what we should all know about ourselves. That every intent of the thoughts of our hearts is only to continually do evil. Genesis 6-5. God looked upon the whole face of the earth and he said, Man, all the thoughts and intents of man are wicked and they're only to do evil. And he became saddened and he destroyed the whole earth with a flood. And then Noah and his family was left and the animals were left and they had the ark. You guys know the story. And then, of course, you can go to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And it will tell you all about yourself. Not just you, but me and your brothers and your sisters and your mama and your daddy and your grandmama and your granddaddy. Romans 3, 10 through 18. Basically, all that passage of scripture is doing is just telling you how unrighteous mankind is. And why must we remember that? Because our righteousness will only come through Jesus Christ. We have to submit our lives to him just as he commanded us to do. Those who want to follow after me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after me daily. What does that mean? Love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Is your mind completely in love with God? Are you more in love with you and what makes you happy? Than you are in love with God and what makes God happy. That's it. Until next time, TCG.